Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cloud-Based Mayhem. I sat down with Ferdy Van Shelvin to record this a couple weeks ago. I'm now recording this opener a day before the U.S. election, so I have no idea what's going to transpire there, but hopefully we will all get through this chaos and life will go on. But uh, this, this episode's all love and light. It has nothing to do with politics, of course. And I hope you enjoy it. And, uh, Ferdy Van Shelvin, Ferdinand Van Shelvin is from the Netherlands. He's uh, in, until pretty recently uh, lived in the flats, and which is amazing to watch him compete in the exiles. He's competed four times. Uh, his first was in 2011. He's never done worse than seventh. Uh, squeaked me out, beat me. And it just got me in the, the final day of the 2015 race. And then he did not compete last time in the 2019 race. Uh, he was hanging out with Tom DeDorlono and some of his other friends and wanted to just see what it was like to sit on the sidelines a bit. Decided he couldn't do that again. And he's back for his fifth in this one in the 2021 race. So this episode is mostly about the X-Alps, but also about how he's been able to pull off such extraordinary moves and do so well being from the flats. You see, he's grown up in the Netherlands and now he lives in Sion and makes snow and, and Verbier in the mountains of Switzerland. So he's in much better positioned to train and fly in the mountains. And so I'm sure he'll be even uh, a sharper weapon coming into this one. So, but always a fan favorite takes incredible lines has an awesome attitude his supporter is his wife Nicole and they just had a little baby he's got a five-month-old at home now and so we talk a lot about risk and how that's changed his approach and yeah just how he how he how much he loves the X-Alps and as we dive into the 10th edition of the X-Alps I thought it'd be fun to have him on the show so had a lot of fun with this one. It was always great to sit down and, and chat with Ferdy. I uh, love this dude. We had a chance to train together quite a bit before the uh, 2017 race and uh, awesome guy. So enjoy. Ferdy, so cool to have you on the show, man. I appreciate your patience and putting this all together and I didn't. I didn't know that you lived in Sion. Now you're a you're a Swiss resident. What's it like being in the Vallas? Yeah, it's, it's changing. It's changed a lot compared to Belgium, where I used to live before. Like, uh, yeah, it's great to be in the mountains and and be able to to train and and fly and all do all the things that you can do in the mountains. It's uh, yeah, it's a big change, and it's, it's yeah, I like it. <laughs> I understand you're you're working on the snow gun. So your snow making was that something you you learned in Switzerland, or did this is it something you brought over from from Belgium, Netherlands, and that area? Yeah, of course, it's not really into Belgium stands to try to make snow and everything, but <laughs> they make ice rinks, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. well, there are a few like tiny ski slopes, but um, when I was a kid, I was really fascinated by snow, and so. When I was younger, I was trying to make all these snow guns in my garden and try to make snow in, in the garden. And then and around, I don't know, when I was 18 or something, I went to France and, and worked there one season in the skiing area. 
and uh, I really liked it, but uh, then I had to work. Well, I didn't have to, but my family had a business in Belgium and some people left and then they needed, well, they didn't need me, but I felt like I was needed. And then I, yeah, I decided to move back to Belgium and then work for them a few years. And then when I came back to Switzerland, I thought, yeah, maybe it's a nice job. You're always outside. And I thought, yeah, why, why not try this? And, uh, so now I'm, how do you say the, how do you call this? The chef or the the guy who runs the the snow cannon. So the manager, the manager. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's nice. It's in three years' time, it's a, it's pretty cool. Yeah. I know that you know historically you you've been at the sport of paragliding and flying for twenty five years or something. Is that right? You've been at this thing. You've been at it a long time, but. Uh, uh, it, right you got into this when you were really young right yeah when i was yeah around 10 i think 10 or 12 yeah uh, my father uh, was well started to paragliding because he always dreamed of it and then they had this outdoor sports company and then they did like uh yeah beginner courses for paragliding just to get a sense of what paragliding was and then uh, I always said, can I go with? And uh, yeah, and then uh, I would, you know, just fly on the, on the flat on the flat part. And then my father would hold me that I wouldn't fly off too far. And then and then I was when I was twelve or so, I think I really started um, flying from uh, in the Alps and, and then back in Belgium from some small hills and everything. Yeah. Yeah. How did you get the how did you get the mountain experience that you brought into your first X Alps in, into 2011? Were you at that point, were you a pretty experienced mountain pilot or were you just kind of winging it? Yeah, it's really weird. Actually, when you live in the mountains now, you think like, how the hell did I, <laughs> how the hell did I do it? You know, because like all these crazy winds, you get like phone and everything. You don't, well, you've heard about it when you live in Belgium, but you don't really yeah, understand how it works and everything. And when you live here, like people are actually always talking about, is there a North phone or South phone? And, and, and they're always busy with this. And then when I used to go to the Alps, I would just look on, on like some standard uh, weather forecast and, and then look if there was any wind or something. And then uh, uh, it looks fine. And then I was just <laughs> flying. <laughs> and usually it worked pretty well. I mean, sometimes you, you make these crazy ideas about this phone wind and everything. And then, of course, at a certain point, it can be quite uh, tricky and dangerous. But uh, I remember once during one X-Alps, there was quite a lot of north phone, but I flew like 50Ks. It was a bit turbulent, but I was on the lee side of the, yeah, of the, the, the mountain. And then coming out of the valley... Uh, towards Lake Como, I think it was. All of a sudden, like this wind coming down from San Moritz hit this this valley, and then I was all of a sudden I was turning more to the right, crossing the valley, and all of a sudden I was flying backwards, and I thought, "What's going on here?" <laughs> and then I was looking down, and I saw the cornfields like going. They were almost flat, you know, because there was so much wind down at the bottom. Like, oh shit. 
So then I turned around and flew back a little bit from the valley I was coming from because I thought, yeah, well, there it was fine. So it should be fine. And then at the end, I landed flying a bit backwards, but it was still manageable. And then some local pilots from Italy, they came and they said, are you crazy? Why are you flying with these conditions? There is 80 kilometers an hour wind in this valley. And and uh, yeah, but it was just because I didn't, I didn't know actually, but I still flew 50k. So, and and I landed. Yeah, that's a win safe. in the XL. So that's a, that's a good day. <laughs> yeah, I know. And then there was funny because Thomas, he was flying also, uh, also from Belgium. He didn't really knew either. And then, but he was flying on the on the other side, like on the north side. And uh, actually, that day we flew quite a bit. And then we a bit later on we we found each other again and, and we gained quite a few places that day because like all the other guys didn't didn't fly because it was yeah phone and you were not uh, supposed to fly but actually it was fine so yeah sometimes it can help you and sometimes uh, it's nice also not to know everything and just feel or look at the sky and and, and do whatever you think is good or something like this I think yeah, and this is—I yeah. mean, this is definitely some of the things I really want to talk to you about, probably just a little bit later, because I—I—you seem to have a really good feel for following your instincts. Maybe I, I don't know if you'd frame it as kind of flow, kind of entering flow channel, but you've—you know—you clearly have a real gift for flying, but for for this race as well. You know, your your first race was 2011. You've competed four times. This is yeah. this will be your fifth. You're yeah, yeah, you've yeah. been top seven in in every race. You you snuck me in the 2015 race, which I'll never forgive you for. <laughs> you, you put a good move on me that second to last day, and I, I was actually I I don't know if you and I ever talked about that, but it was you know I was sitting under this chairlift, basically contemplating that I'd just nearly died in and yeah. i'd gotten stuck in really bad valley winds and didn't really recognize it i was in the lee and and uh and i just the last report i'd gotten was that you and nick were were grounded and you were way behind me and i didn't really have to worry about you and then my team didn't have internet in that whole vars area and whatever that another yeah. town south of there is and uh and you had crossed the valley quite it made a quite sexy move and crossed the valley to the better side and the west facing side and just flown right over my head. So I I would I didn't know any of that. I was just sitting on the ground and when I found out I was so furious. I just thought, oh, I've got to catch him. I've got to catch him. So I had a really nice flight that evening and then I ran all night trying to catch you and I I just imagined that I could, but you're also very fast on the ground and I never even got close. <laughs> I remember they told me already then. But, uh, yeah, but it's also, I mean, I always wonder why I end up so well because, uh, of course, I do train a bit and, and, and everything, but uh, it's always about decisions, you know. And, like, that day I thought I was flying on that same side as you. I was flying on this east faces. And then all of a sudden I thought, yeah, well, you know, and there is this wind coming from Briançon and then there is these sailplanes flying on the – on these west faces there and, and then i thought at a certain stage uh well and it was i don't know around one o'clock or something then at a certain stage i should cross to the west faces 
and also because of this valley wind. And then I when I crossed to the, the west face, it was like super windy also at, at, at this side. There, there was, yeah, like uh, I got stuck there and then like I couldn't get around the corner on the mountain because the wind was going, yeah, not really in the right direction. And so then I walked just, I don't know, maybe 500 meters to, to get across a ridge. And then I was on the other side, and it was like super windy. Like I thought, if I was I wasn't in the race, I wouldn't have took off. But then I thought, well, everybody has seen this video of Kriegel where he takes <laughs> off and then get gets shot in the air. And then I thought, well, probably it's going to happen the same. And then afterwards, I'll be fine. And so then I tried, and then I, yeah, it was a bit the same. Like I I took off there, and then I got up. I think fifteen hundred meters without. Yeah, making one turn or not going backwards or forwards, and, and and just I went up like this, fifteen hundred meters, and then all of a sudden there was less wind on the top, and then I could, yeah, I started flying again forward. So, yeah, actually it was quite easy, but a bit scary at the same time. And just, I got the same thing. So the, the first you have this valley coming from Briançon, and then afterwards there's this other valley uh, from the Ubay River. And there I got exactly the same thing. Like I, I was flying, I was super high. I don't know what the the ceiling was that day, but I think 4,000 meters or something. And then I got in the lee side of this mountain in front of me. I was full bar pushing and I had, I think I was, I only had 1K to go and I had, uh, I don't know, maybe 1,000 meters above this mountain. And then I just went down minus 10 meters a second until Gee. I just flew over this, this stop but maybe two three hundred meters above it i thought if i don't make it i end up in one of those crazy valleys in the back there and i really didn't want to so i was really pushing 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 and then i hit the the, the wind in front of the mountain again and then the same thing i went up again 1500 meters straight up and then afterwards it was fine again and then i, I was flying towards uh, yeah cold of and everything and there there was a bit better but it was yeah a crazy flight, and then I remember at the end, like having all this wind, there was this valley going towards the sea, and then I thought there's probably gonna be as much wind as this valley, so I don't want to land at the bottom. Isola, the Isola Valley, yeah, that that is uh, in training. That night when I landed uh, chasing you, it was very mellow, but holy cow! In training down there, I had some days that were terrifying. That, that canyon just funnels all that wind off the Mediterranean. It's just really windy. That's what I thought, yeah. But then, like, my supporters were way in the back because we flew so much that day. So I couldn't ask them if there was any wind in the valley. So I landed, like, really stupid in one of those side valleys instead of landing on top of a mountain or something. But I thought, okay, well, I'm, I'm pretty close to the to the end now. <laughs> and I'll just land somewhere in the side valley and then I'll walk all night. And then, and then I'll be in Monaco tomorrow. But it was, when I walked back towards... Yeah, the main valley, there was like zero wind that I could have flown maybe 20 k's further. I don't know, like if I would have flown straight, but then I just landed in one of those side valleys just to prevent myself. You know, I was already been so scared by all this wind in these, these valleys. So uh, then I was yeah, just hiking and then there were you following me all night. And <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny. And then I, I remember like falling asleep while walking towards. Uh, 
uh, yeah, the beginning of the day, like when the, the light just came up, I was really falling asleep while walking. And then Nicole was, my, my wife was telling me, I don't know how you do it. I'm falling asleep all the time. <laughs> and you can just keep walking. <laughs> yeah, you know that it, at some point that night, about five o'clock in the morning, uh, I, I came up to you on the side of the road and I started talking to you. I was completely hallucinating. I, I just, I, I mean, you were still 12 K ahead of me or something, but I, I was completely asleep. I was walking just like the dead. It was, it was like I was a dead person and I, I kind of opened my eyes or maybe they were open. I don't, you know, but you were, you were sitting on this bridge and I, I walked up and I was like, Freddie, do you want to come in? And, and I just, you, you didn't exist. <laughs> I was completely hallucinating at that point. I was out of my mind. Actually, I saw you, and then I, I told you, just just get some rest, man. <laughs> and then I get rocked in front again. <laughs> oh, that was – I actually had a really proper – kind of breakdown the next the next day we got some beta from a friend in australia that said hey somebody has flown this little hill you know that that you know and maybe you could you were you were nearly in pay at that point but you know maybe you could climb up this and and squeak it in there and i was so wrecked and we we climbed and you know it was it was like a hundred degrees that day and it was torture i hate monaco and i uh i climbed up this thing and it was like three hours for it wasn't a very big climb but i was just smoked at that point and my feet were mangled and i got up to this launch and it was kind of windy from the sea like the sea breeze was just starting to set in but you could see all you had to do was, and that, you know, you got that really tight airspace there, but you could see all you had to do was go back, like go away from pay and, and follow the terrain back. And it was kind of a U mountain and it would have, would have brought me over onto the ridge and pay. And then, you know, there was clouds and it was real obvious what you would do, but you, I would have had to fly away from pay to do it. And I couldn't force my, I could just couldn't do it. I was like, there's no way. So instead I did the dumb thing and I just pressed into the wind towards the ocean and flew, I think I flew like five kilometers, you know, so I, so I climbed this yeah. big mountain for nothing and then flew five kilometers and I landed in this kind of like sewer river. It was really filthy and really dirty. And, and, uh, and then realized, you know, when I brought it up on my phone, I still had, you know, by the Red Bull tracking, it was like three kilometers, but I had to walk like 14 kilometers, whatever it was, you know, cause it's up this windy road and tons of vertical gain. Uh, I had to go way up. And I looked at that and I just, in my mind, I thought, I can't, it's not possible. I just can't do it. <laughs> so Bruce pulled up and I just said, Bruce, I, I can't make it. And he said, oh, so what are you going to fucking do? You're going to, you're going to quit the X Alps when you're 14 kilometers away. And he's like, he basically kicked me out of the car. He just said, get going, you wimp. But you just, uh, you, it's, it's crazy. The place that, that, that race puts you in mentally is, is really something else. Yeah, no, no, for sure. But it's true that this last bit, yeah, it's it's terrible. Like all these windy roads, and nothing goes to, yeah, nothing goes straight. And then there's all these sparkly bushes everywhere, which really, yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> 
Yeah, we got we got shredded going through that. There's a there's a section where everybody else went too, but we I don't know if we lost the trail or it's just like that. But Ben just got shredded. It was it was you know just, he was kind of just grabbing these vines and yanking them out of the way. It, uh, it's yeah, it's it's torture back there. Well, what was it like to sit out 2019? You were you were with Tom that first day. I got to chat with you a little bit in the car as it was raining, and we were all walking at that point. Um, yep. But I've all you know. One of the reasons I signed back up this year was I just thought, God, it'd be torture to watch. Was it hard, or was it was it kind of fun to take a break? No, it was actually quite. Yeah, it was fun to see it from another point of view because you when you. When you in well, of course, I always see it as a big deal. Like it's a it's a big thing to do this race. But when you're in it, like it doesn't matter. Well, when you when your alarm sets off at three o'clock in the morning or whatever, you're like shit. There we go again. But then you wake up and then you start walking or you try to in the beginning and then after a few steps, your muscles. <laughs> how do you say, like get loose a bit and then, and then all of a sudden you're walking again and then the day starts and then until 11 and then, yeah, you go to sleep again and and then you just keep doing that for two weeks and then you're, if you're lucky, you're in Monaco. But like when you see it from, from like when you can take the rest, you know, when you're not in the race, like, uh, yeah, you hike up a mountain and then you fly a bit and then you think, yeah, well, it's, it's fine for today, you know, I've done enough. <laughs> and but, but then and then I was with Thomas and he said, okay, yeah, just come with me. We'll hike up this mountain again and then we'll fly from there. And I, okay, fine. And then you do one more and then you see, ah, it's six o'clock already. For me, it's fine now, you know, and then they still have to hike. Yeah, until 11. <laughs> So you felt a lot of sympathy, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you really think, wow, this is just crazy. But you're so much, yeah, into the adrenaline of the race that you don't really notice the performance that you're achieving. Like it's, uh, it's crazy when you see it from the outside. You really think uh, it's crazy what what we guys are doing. Actually, you don't. Well, I don't notice it when I'm in the race anyway. Mm. I really, yeah, really saw that from 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 the outside like this it's really something special yeah. it's quite amazing did you miss it uh yeah well of course at some point i was doing some flights and then sometimes i i did some stupid things you know even when i was just following the race i thought oh, luckily i'm not in the race now otherwise i would have been pissed or whatever <laughs> but uh no, yeah of course i missed it but it's different you know when you're not really in the race you make other decisions and yeah it's just not the same and of course yeah i missed it otherwise i wouldn't have done it again this year but yeah you know the feeling like every time when you finish this race you think i'll never, I'll never do it again <laughs> and, and then after a year you suddenly think yeah it's quite nice let's do it again what, what's, the, you, what's the hardest yeah. thing for you when it comes to the race uh, the, if you um, take the whole thing the 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 training from the very beginning to the very end, what's the hardest part? I think the week before the race. <laughs> just the anticipation or the nerves? No, because it just takes so much time. Oh, God, the- yeah, God, it, it is it's awful. It is. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> On the stump side and everything. No, I don't know, but it's also kind of nice. Well, it's nice, you know, like all the guys 
from the Alps, like almost all of them are competitive, but also really friendly with each other. So they, yeah, yeah. like we are chatting now, it's, uh, it's like that with every pilot. And that's a nice thing about the race, but yeah, there isn't really a thing I hate. The, the only thing when I finish the race and I'm really, well, my, my worst experience was in 2011 there. I was really, we hiked so much during this race. And then I think I was still young and just pushing my body to to whatever my body could do. Like my mind would just keep saying, okay, just keep going, keep going. But then it really took me like half a year, I think, to yeah to recuperate or how do you say this? In yeah, recover. Recover, yeah. Uh, it really took me like so much time that I thought, boy, this can't be good for you, you know. But I lost, I don't know, I think 10, 10 kgs during this race. Whoa. Yeah, it was like I didn't eat well or I uh, wasn't really prepared for everything. But it was crazy. Like, I think in the race, we had three days where we hiked, all, well, like one day more than 100 kilometers and, and two days around 95 or something. I think I, I walked 850 kilometers. That, that oh. It was amazing, yeah. Do you have any, have you historically, do you have any foot problems? Foot problems? Yeah, like blisters? No, not really, no. Like, yeah. um, the, the, well, the last race I, I did in 2017, because it was so hot in this in Italy, uh, but but uh, yeah, there I got some problems. I got like like tibia. I don't know. Oh yeah, shin splints. Yeah, like I was really infected, and and then uh, one of my chilies was also really bad mm. at the end. Mm. Ouch! But yeah, I think it was just because of the heat and. But yeah, mainly I'm doing fine with that. Only like during winter when I start ski touring, then I always get some blisters on my heels. Once they are gone again, and then, then I'm fine. But no, usually I'm I'm quite okay with the blisters. Yeah. What? Do, how has your approach changed between 2011 and then going into the 2021 race? I mean, obviously you've got all the experience, but did you have? Do you have? different goals now than you did and what were what were the goals yes i remember in 2011 my goal was to finish in the top 10 or and to reach well my goal i don't know if it was a goal like i hoped that somehow it was possible because i was really thinking that i wasn't up you know for this thing or well i would try but i didn't really know yeah what to expect or anything and then so I remember I studied the course until Chamonix. Like I thought if I reached Chamonix, I would already be really happy. Hmm. And then I remembered like it was two days before the end of the race, I was in Chamonix and then I thought, shit, I haven't looked at the maps any further than this. And then I really didn't know where to go. So yeah, then I was kind of asking to John Chambers, where, where, where are we going now? And he said, yeah, we'll go up here. So, uh, yeah, I just thought if I reached Chamonix, I would be pretty cool. And then I ended up at the Col du Galibier on the, yeah, like the race finished over there because Krieg already reached Monaco two days earlier, I think. I don't know. 
Yeah, I think the, only uh, only he and Toma got in that year, right? Was that the 2011 year? Yeah, it could be, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Col de Glibier is a nice place to end. That's beautiful. Yeah, no, it was nice, yeah. So that was yeah my first race. And then the next one, I thought, okay, let's do it a bit better, like especially for the nutrition. I thought I should, uh, yeah, have some – shouldn't lose so much weight during this race. And then, uh, yeah, more proteins to recover and more – uh, yeah, I think I only lost like three or four kilos during the, the 2013 one, so that was more acceptable. And has Nicole supported you in all of them? Uh, no, no. Like in 2013, she came, but towards uh, when I reached France, uh, or no, a little bit earlier, like in, in Zermatt, I think she came. Uh, but then I think... You were already flying then, eh, in 2013. No, I didn't. My first well, was 15. No, so she, she, no, that year, like 2013, I flew from like the whole valleys actually. So I flew from uh, Nufnen Pass all the way to Zermatt. And then I did the same thing going to this back, back country to uh, Chamonix. I remember that really distinctly. On I was watching that race really closely. You made some wicked moves through there. You, you were you were really fun to watch that year. That was that was that was an well, and two thousand eleven. But you you had some really cool lines. Yeah, well, that was like a bit of luck as well. You know, I reached I reached the um, Zermatt, and then I and then I saw. But the cloud base was really high, and then I saw Manuel Nubo. I think I don't know if it was that year of the year or the year later, but he was catching up on me. And then, no, I think it wasn't that year. I think yeah, because his first good. year was our was was my first year too. It was twenty fifteen. Yeah, yeah. So that was that the next time. But so the first time was with Aaron Durogati, I think, and then like we both kind of saw there was be would be the the, the yeah the best the best way to go, and then. Yeah, so we picked that line, and it was yeah really nice because you, at the end, it's uh, way shorter than the other one. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, uh, and then I ended up in Chamonix that night, and then I, I saw Nicole from Chamonix, and she followed us till Monaco. And then in two thousand, well, the next race, two thousand fifteen, yeah, she also followed me a bit. I think there, yeah. And then in 2017, she was my supporter. And now she will do it again. So, I, yeah. You got to tell me about that. What's that like? I, I, I just can't. I, I love my wife to death, but I can't imagine doing a race with her. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm quite lucky. Like Nicole, she really likes the whole race and everything. And she likes all the, well, like also all the, the other pilots that are in the race and all the a social well the social network around it and mm. yeah and she's yeah i don't know like the, the the first races i was a bit scared you know to because then yeah our relationship was quite young and and uh, and i was also with a supporter which uh, had a quite a strong how to say character <laughs> and and I, I i didn't think they would match with nicole's character you know like it would be difficult during the race yeah like she always told me yeah, i want to go with you and and support you and everything so like in 2017 i was still a bit before the race i thought yeah i'm not i'm not sure if it's gonna work you know because well like you're saying it's not always easy when you're with your wife or 
but then at the end it worked really well like uh, yeah like everybody had his task and then and at the end it went yeah we didn't really fight during the race or whatever so it was that was pretty cool and it of course it's it's quite nice that the uh, yeah the person who loves you most follows you during the race and, and supports you and at the end it was a great experience and so now we got a kid this year's now uh five months old oh congratulations i didn't know that yeah yeah, yeah. and uh so it's yes yeah, it's, it's it's gonna be more challenging this year to to prepare for the race as well because it's uh, yeah that's time consuming so will he come will he come with you guys i guess so or do, do you have grandparents or something yeah the grandparents will okay will luckily take care of him and uh yeah and i think tom's got one coming right before the race with his second yeah yeah <laughs> we were telling like uh what was it yeah before we were we got the news that we were selected i said yeah uh, I don't know why, man. They didn't select me uh, for the exiles, and he was like, "No, why? I don't understand." And, and then I said, oh, "Yeah, I don't know. They, they, they yeah, they just said uh, they wouldn't select me this year. There was someone else that they took and whatever." And he was like, oh, "I'm really sorry about you. It's really weird that they did that." And, uh, and then at the end, I said, "No, no, it's a joke. You know, <laughs> Yeah, there's there's no there's no way you're not getting that. You've been you've been incredibly consistent and and fun to watch. You're your big crowd favorite. Um yeah, I wanted to ask you about 2017 cuz it I mean you you know, you, you've been top 7 every time. It's not like in a way you had a breakthrough, but it seemed from the outside I didn't have a very good race in 2017. I, I made a really bad move early on that really cost me, but the it seemed like yeah. you kind of had a breakthrough in 2017. You, you, you just had a really solid race all the way through, even at the end. I mean, you know, again, it was one of those hard weather races and only two people got in, but you were right there and, and you had some wicked competition you know, some very fast people on the ground. Those kind of, that the end, the end was, was a lot of walking and running and you know, it was, it was, the weather was brutal, but. Yeah, I don't know. I think, like, I don't really, I don't mind. Uh, I don't. I don't mind walking really. Like in the, the I don't know, like sometimes it's a bit weird. But I always say to my supporters, try to convince me to fly because just sometimes I think, well, I'm just, I'm just hiking now, and then I'm just cruising along, and and and, and I'm going forward. I don't take any risks. <laughs> At the end of the day, I can do uh, I can do that for eighty kilometers, and then I, well, I've done eighty kilometers. But um, I don't mind the walking part. So if it if it gets uh, difficult, then I yeah, I don't really care. What I do mind is flying into really shitty conditions. So when I yeah, when I get dust around and, and whatever, like flying in the lee all the time, and I can manage that for for a while. But then after a while, I think it's really worth it. And then I'd rather be safe than sorry, if you know what I mean. So yeah, it's not really an answer to your question, I guess. But 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I always wonder why I'm I'm so consistent. Like, I really hope this year is go, I'm gonna do fine again. You know, because it's also a bit of luck. I mean, sometimes you, yeah, you have to be well positioned in the beginning. Don't miss any good flying days, and if you do one big bis- mistake on a on a good day, especially now the level is quite high. Yeah, you're you're like all the way in the back as soon as you make a mistake. So I don't know how I do it, but <laughs> it's really it, it keeps I keep amazing myself. Like I was fourth in 2017, and towards the end, like everybody, like all of a sudden got like I remember one day I was really um, I was going from uh, Makugnaga. I don't know if you know. Yeah, yeah. no worry. Sure. Yeah to what was the turn point <laughs> the other side of say I'm at the, the Italian side yeah the Courmayeur yeah, yeah. yeah and then that day they expected I think west wind I don't know 40 kilometers an hour and I was really thinking no way I'm gonna you know no way I'm gonna fly I'm, I don't want to die and I don't want to risk it flying every time into the lee of these yeah, huge riches and everything. So I thought, oh, okay, well, I was no, I was crying actually in the beginning of the day. I was telling how the hell am I gonna do this? It was like four times, yeah, fifteen hundred to two thousand meters uh, ascension, like, and then the same going down because it's like all these valleys you have to cross uh, hiking. And then I thought, how the hell? Well, I can't do that. You know, I can't do eight thousand meters or vertical climb in one day it's impossible and then at the end i just well the first ascension i had to hike and then i could fly the first one because there wasn't any wind yet and then the next one it was starting to get windier and then i saw i hike back down and then hike back up at the end of the day on five thousand or six thousand meters big day and then I was, yeah but I just walked, and then all the other guys, they they were flying, and I thought, okay, now they're all going to disappear, you know? And and But at the end, like, Manuel Nubo, he was really tired, and he got sick, and, and stayed somewhere on the mountain, and I don't know what happened there, but, uh, yeah, they, they, they made some mistakes or whatever, I don't know. And then I catched up with the other guys in front, and then, and then uh, some guys flew into the airspace because it was quite complicated there. So yeah, all of a sudden, like two or three guys kind of disappeared disappeared in front of me. And then and then the 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 one day before the last day, I decided to try to fly because I thought, yeah, uh, I don't want to hike in this forty degrees. Uh, flats there in Italy so and then it was flying quite well and then I still I still did a stupid mistake because one time I was flying in the Lee or like in the east face in the afternoon and it was going up but not so much so at the end I landed and then I lost I think two hours hiking over this mountain and if I just waited a bit more I think I should I could have made it you know it's just a bit more yeah, piece of or how do you say a bit more? Um, I was just tired, you know. So at the end, I thought, yeah, just land and then hike back up. But otherwise, I think I could have reached uh, Paul Grishobauer or be at the same 
level up. I had one more mountain to cross, and then I would be, and then I would be at this level. And then it would have been funny because then, uh, yeah, it would have been another race again against him. <laughs> but uh, yeah, then I, I flew back out in the flats, and then I hit this airspace, and then I start to to walk from there, and I was just a few k's in front of. Uh, uh, Simon Oberaner, and it, it, and then I called him. You know, the last day I said, "Okay, Simon, you're I don't know. I was ten k's behind me, I think. Uh, what should we do? I can wait for you, and then we just drink a beer here, and then we call it uh, we call it a day, and then we finish the race like that. And for me, it's fine, you know. And then he said, "Yeah." He didn't really answer me. Like he said, yeah, "I don't know." <laughs> So then we we hang up on the phone and I was like, shit, he's probably going to run. So we were watching the live track all the time. And then all, at a certain point, he started running. And then I thought, yeah, well, he's just going to run 1K and then we'll stop again. And then he kept running and then he reached like 5Ks. Uh, he was 5Ks behind me. And then I thought, oh, shit, <laughs> I have to start running. <laughs> so then we ran, I think. For, for two or three hours at the end of the race just to keep that fourth place it was like and then at the end but I was joking you know I was uh, when I saw him I was uh, trying to kill him but just in a friendly way like why don't you do that to me and, uh, <laughs> makes yeah. me makes me feel even more ridiculous for I had the exact same situation uh, I was way behind you guys at that point but I was Michael Gerlach and uh and uh, Rick Brzezina from Canada and myself were coming into Bellinzona and I pulled up live tracking I was we were he Michael was on the other side and he was behind us at that point but Rick had flown had made a better move on me and he was like 2k in front of me so I, I knew if I landed in front of him I had him and I did I landed like 2k in front of him and I packed up and I called this was the night before you know so we still had quite a bit of race left it was that night and then the next day until 11 something whenever it ended <laughs> and I called him and I said hey please can we just be gentlemen and you know, either finish this together or, uh, you know, can we just walk and I'll just stay in front of you, but we'll just walk. We don't have to make this a race. I mean, I'm in 14th year and 15th. Like it doesn't matter. You know And He said, no, you know, I've had fun racing. Let's just race. And so I, I ran a marathon that night to stay in front of him. I would just stayed in 2k in front of him the whole time. And then the next morning, you know, we both were lined up at 5am, you know, cause we'd already used our night pass. And so luckily we didn't have to do that. But then I ran another marathon the next morning and it was just like, God, oh, dude, please just stop. <laughs> just stop running. <laughs> So stupid. Uh, oh, it's crazy. It's a crazy race. Well, that was it, but that was a great result. And well, back to the goals thing. How do you, you know, from these four races you've had and in, in this kind of yeah, well, the, decade? I, I really thought, okay, let's train a bit more. And then I did some serious flying in spring and, and, and being in the Alps really helped me also to get, uh, bit more ready like every time i was coming from belgium i always came to to the alps and i thought well pff. i was a bit impressed you know the first few days uh yeah a bit impressed by the the mountains and the, the rock faces and everything and actually living here in switzerland 
I mean, where we live, uh, yeah, there are quite some high mountains and it's quite impressive sometimes. So when I, this time when I, when I was in Austria, I was thinking, oh, it's almost flatland, you know, like it, <laughs> I, I, uh, yeah, I had it all the other way around, you know, it's, uh, uh, there are nice green grassy hills and uh, it's not so impressive. Um, so that really helped. I mean, it was, uh, psychologically, it was much nicer this way. And also physically, uh, I managed to train a bit more. So I was, no, I was pretty good. I think in, in 2017 and um, at least before the race I thought uh, I might have my chances and uh, so that was good and then this year of course I'll try to do my best again but uh, yeah as you know with a small kid it takes a lot of time and, uh, I'll try to train as, as well but I don't want to overdo it as well you know so uh, yeah, what well, I'll just do my best and then see and see what happens. Fly as much as I can and train as much as I can, but it will be a bit less, I think, than than in 2017. Yeah. One of the things that I've had a really hard time with in in all the races, and I, I recognized this after the 2015 race. You and I made pretty similar moves that day eight. You know, going into the Matterhorn and really jumped, but. A lot of people, I, I went from eighth to seventh, and I know you made a big jump that day too, um, yeah. which really kind of saved. I mean, I, it wasn't looking like I was even going to get to Monaco, but that that that's been that was a good day for me. But I've I've had a lot of days where I really struggle with flying what I know is the right way to do it because it's way off course line, and I start thinking about, well, what if I, what if I don't do it? What if I, you know, that's going to add 20 K of walking and that kind of thing. You, you don't seem very straight. I mean, again, I, I can't watch you in the race. I, I don't know, but I, I'm more judging from the 2011 and 2013 races when I, when I got to watch you, but you seem to be able to, um, maybe not take it so seriously. You're, you, you're able to make moves that in the air that, that really work and not get bogged down into that. Um, it's not, it's not fear of death, but fear of blowing it. You, you seem to be very confident when you need to be confident. No, I just, I, I just take the route, whichever I think for me is best, you know, like I'm not, I hate it or like at a certain stage, it became, where did Kriegel go? Like, all the race, like everybody was just following where did Greek go, where did he but it really depends, you know, each day is different and it really depends on like when I'm in the air, I'm just looking oh, well this ridge looks better now because there is more sun or it looks, a bit, yeah, I don't know like I'm just judging whatever, whatever looks best, you know, and then I'm not really thinking about uh, what if, because I just think this is the best option for me or whatever, it's my judgment that I think on that day uh, is best and then I'll just yeah stick to looking forward and try to get to the next ridge and to this next mountain, whatever, and keep going forward. And That's actually what I really like about the X-Alps is that you, I do some, I did some other hike and fly races which are really quick and then you have to 
go to one point and then hike and then do this and and then go to another point and then maybe you can get some more points if you land in between somewhere and it gets all really complicated sometimes and then in the excels is just yeah basically you're going from salzburg to monaco or you have to go through this several points but uh yeah it's going from one point to the next and then i'll just yeah decide whatever is best and i always made these judgments myself like i didn't trust on my supporters or of course i always asked them uh, about the weather that day or whatever they think was best but once i'm in the air i'm just judging whatever i think is the best thing that day and i'm not so i can't say to my supporters what the hell what did you send me there it was really shitty or whatever i just make my own judgment and that seems to work fine or yeah how much are you in contact with them when you're flying? Not. Not, yeah. Like, just when I have my doubts on valley winds or whatever, like, uh, then I give them a call. And if I, like, during the end, or, yeah, I got some quite some surprises during uh, some races where I really didn't like it uh, down in the valley. So, like, just for, uh, to ask if it's safe to land or whatever, but, yeah, during the flight, I don't really doubt or whatever, and just make my decisions during the yeah. How do you how do you think about the risk side of it for you? I remember when we were all hanging out in Monaco after the 2015 race. You know, everybody kind of had a pretty special story. Uh, we we were dealing with a lot of wind in 2015. That is a funny thing to me about the races. Uh, how different each of them have been i mean in 2019 there was no wind I, I, I never went anywhere that i couldn't launch which was very for me unusual it was a very different race but um so it didn't feel very risky at all but i mean we had the the bad weather in the middle of the race but it was you know it was very everything was real obvious you know it wasn't it wasn't like you were flying a lot of fern or yeah it, um but as you've gotten older now you have the five month old uh, i mean this is a question i get on the podcast all the time it, it, you know how does your how do you approach that side of it uh, for sure for sure it changes like uh, uh not only because the five months old but also because of uh when you're young and people are telling you we'll see when you get older <laughs> you get more more scared about things and then you're like yeah 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 whatever you don't think it's gonna happen but for sure you yeah now i start thinking about all kind of things when i'm flying and uh, not really when i'm in this when i'm in the racing mode a bit less than when uh, i fly for myself but uh, because you have this adrenaline of the race and everything so you 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 yeah, you push a bit more but for sure, I'm way not that relaxed as uh, Kriegel is, for example, which, yeah, he doesn't seem to care about anything. But no, for sure, this is changing. Like, uh, sometimes I'm flying along here, these big rock face, and I think, what the hell would happen if I get a collapse here and then pull my reserve and then I would be dangling somewhere <laughs> on these rocks and it wouldn't make a difference anyway. I, well, and then I start thinking about this. But then the other day I was flying in the Swiss, well, I didn't do the race, but I was flying along with the Swiss Open. And then we were just racing, you know, from one 
point to another and then i was just really i wasn't even looking at the rock faces you know we were flying about four or five thousand meters it was really amazing weather and uh yeah huge glaciers and everything and and you were just yeah kind of oh there's another guy here in front and try to catch up and so yeah it's a bit uh, of course the race helps you to eliminate a bit of those fears but of course you you get them more and more you start to think more about life and everything and but maybe it will help i mean in 2017 i thought okay i'm gonna do this race but i'm never gonna take risks for myself so whenever i thought it wouldn't be good for flying i wouldn't fly like after that those two rainy days at the start everybody was flying uh, off in this phone wind and i guess i seen some yeah really bad things happening and i thought yeah well i was whatever happens i mean if i lose 10 places today it's better to break my leg or whatever so i was fine i was hiking down the valley and uh, i saw all these guys flying over me and i was adding a belly axe just by watching them so i thought yeah it's a good decision and the same at makugnaga when i was walking there i thought okay i have to do this six thousand meters of vertical climb but whatever it's uh, at least i'm i'll stay positive this way and and not feel uncomfortable in the air so yeah yeah that that second day of the you know i i walked all night that was i pulled my night past off the right off the start which ended up being a big mistake but there was a uh, so I was down in that canyon when everybody started flying through, and I, I don't think I've ever seen anything that scary in paragliding. Yeah. That was just terrifying. God, I mean, I even called. Um, no, I forget. His name. Yeah, director. yeah, I, not 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 Christoph, but the uh, Jurgen, the safety director, and just said, "Hey, you better get the helicopter in here. This isn't going to end well." And you know, Benoit crashed, but he didn't get hurt. And yeah. but the man. God, that was ugly. That was just really scary. Yeah. Uh, well, Antoine Girard. Yeah, that was the end of his race. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, crazy. I'm mean, interested. Does Nicole get nervous about that kind of stuff? Does she see? Does she? I don't know. Because <laughs> I, I have this kind of agreement with my team that. Revis, who does all my weather, it was Bruce in your days. Yeah, he's no longer with us, unfortunately. But you know, he he he. They both know kind of what my limits are really well. So if they, you know, if they they figure it's safe, they'll they'll put me. They'll you know, okay, here's your next launch. But they don't really give me a lot of details <laughs> because they know I don't want them. You know, I'll just be thinking about it all the way up to launch. So they kind of know what to give me and what to hold back. Um, are you kind of calling all those shots, or is is do you guys have an agreement along those kind of lines? Yeah, no, it's, there was, that's the thing I was telling you before, like, I, uh, like all my supporters I got, they, they're great in supporting me, but they're not the best pilots or whatever. So mm. they don't really know yeah, what, whatever takeoff would be the best or so that like all these things are basically, well, sometimes they see on a map, maybe you could go there or whatever, but then I say, yeah, maybe, but, I prefer to go there. So I make all these judgments myself uh, so that Nicole doesn't really have to worry about that. Mm. And Nicole isn't really worried about me either because 
I don't know, somehow I think she trusts the decisions I'm taking and to be the good decisions. And then now she's really cool with that. I mean, she doesn't go like, oh, you're not going to die today or whatever. <laughs> she, she's always really yeah. down to earth. Or That's cool. Well, it, it, it's encouraging for me to hear, you know, I think I've got about 12 years on you. I'll be 49 in this next, I'm 48 now. But it's it's good for me to hear that, because you've been flying longer than I have and that you, you know, you have all those same reserve. What if I collapse? Cause I, I get a lot of, of that and, and more and more, I used to be much more able to handle risk and, you know, thought I was more, uh, invincible of, of course than I do now, but it is strange what the race does to your mind as I, I've, I've often felt, I usually try to go over and do a little bit of training before and pretty much every year there's been some days that are just really pretty sketchy flying and, and they scare me to death as they should, you know, they're not really recreational flying days, but that same, if I had that same day in the race, it wouldn't be scary at all. It, it's weird. You no. get in this strange, and I also don't think they're actually even that risky either because you're, you're, you're just really dialed in. And I, I've, I've, I've had this theory lately that I, I, I'm, I wonder if our brains can only really handle so much psychological trauma. And I think flying is often pretty traumatic and, you know, to, but if you can get your mind to that next level, it really is just an attitude, is it, isn't it? It's just a different approach that, for me, at least, uh, the three races I've been in, you, you get in that your brain goes to that point at the start of the race, and it kind of stays there for twelve days. It just kind of stays locked in, where you just you kind of have it. No, no, for sure, yeah. Like I always, w the difference in two thousand seventeen towards the other races, like the other race, I always felt like the last three or four days I would really be into how do you say into my element or mm, in the zone. i wouldn't be scared anymore or i just yeah felt comfortable flying like a good pilot would do uh yeah like Grigo flies all the time or whatever or i mean those guys are flying so much that it's just second nature i think and but but i had this in 2017 i was i flew quite a lot in, in spring and then i was really already the first days of the race i was already you know and then i wasn't scared or i just felt okay let's fly and i wasn't worrying at all about any dangers or whatever so yeah that that makes a quite a big difference i think to be mentally strong mm. yeah yeah so Freddy, um you and i did some training together before the i guess that was a 20 yeah before the 2017 race we had really cool flight from Slovenia from uh Triglav up back into Austria and but I, I I think you as you probably know you know Kriegel doesn't do any of that he doesn't he doesn't go scout the course and beforehand I mean I think he scouts it with Google Earth and of course he's Kriegel I mean he's flown all over the Alps so there's probably not that many areas that he doesn't know but um I was I was pretty curious to find out in 2015 that he doesn't you know, before the race, he pretty much just stays at home, keeps training at home and doesn't go scout areas. What's your viewpoint on that now after doing it four times and, and what will you do this year? 
I understand um, because you you know you you like for like we for example we did this flight and it worked out this this way on that day. But if you're there on another day with with a bit different weather, you might take that same decision because you thought oh, that worked, but it might not be the best decision for that day. What's important uh, for him is that he takes the good decision on the good day. So if you actually don't really know where you're going, you just make your decisions on what whatever you you judge by the surroundings, by the birds you see, by the I don't know the clouds, the the thermals, whatever. And I think it's uh, it's always good. It's 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 almost always bad when locals come and tell you how you should fly because they always say, oh, no, you cannot go there because it never works or whatever. And then, and then uh, when you listen to them, you end up listening to them and then you think, okay, I'm not going there because it's not working. But at the end, it might work. If they just never tried it or whatever. And, and if you think that they might be the best decision, then that's what makes the difference between him and a lot of other pilots. I think that he really analyzes everything for himself and then it doesn't matter for him if he's flying in the lead or if he's flying uh, behind other pilots if he flies behind other pilots he will judge the other pilots he sees in front of him to make the best decision uh, from whatever he thinks to whatever the other pilots are doing but he will still make his own decision which will bring him in the lead again (laughs) Yeah, and but, luckily he doesn't have to deal with following too much. <laughs> no, not in this race, but I mean in uh, normal sure. World Cups, whatever he will, he will not always be in front. It's it's like I think he said it in one of his interviews. Like uh, even if one of those uh, young guys get in front of him, then you still need to be able to fly in front and make all those decisions yourself because uh, yeah, I remember flying with some guys like Benoit Uterse, he was flying exactly every single line uh, that Kriegel was doing. They were putting him on his GPS and just did exactly the same, which isn't the right way because the day he flew there, it worked, but you might be one or two hours later and then it's not not the best line anymore. And then I think... It's it's really important. I mean, your supporters are really important in this race, but also it's uh, the the pilot at the end who who needs to make the, the the right decisions when when he's in the air. And you can't blame it on your supporters. Well, at least you can't blame it either on your supporters. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you, you're just it's your decision, so you can't you can't say why the hell did you send me up there? It was really shitty or whatever. So I think this this is a strong point from Griego, which which makes him so good pilot. Yeah, yeah, he's reading it on the fly. Obviously, he's he's the best at that. Yeah. Ferdy, I'm going to ask you what is maybe an impossible question, but I hope you can answer it. Uh, when you think back to your four campaigns, do you have yeah. a best and a worst experience? I know there's so many of both, but. Uh, Do you have one that really pops out? Uh, yeah, I think the best, the best was 
2013 or 15, I'm not sure, but it was, uh, I was in Grenoble, Grenoble in English. Yeah, Grenoble. <laughs> but, uh, and then I made this uh, really crazy line going uh, south and then later on crossing back towards the, the main the main Alps, where I say, like, uh, like, uh, like down through, down through Gap or something, like, do you, do you, do you kind yeah, of stay with the St. Hilaire yeah. side for a while? Yeah. Okay. I flew I don't, on the Verco, yeah. So I, I flew this and then I, I flew over the, the flats uh, for for a little bit to go back to towards the Lac de Serponçon. Mm. And, and then from there, yeah. uh, there was the Tour de France as well at the same time. And at a certain point, I landed on a mountain. I called my support. I said, yeah, I don't know, man. It was really hard. Uh, it wasn't working in the beginning. I really had to fight to get up. And then all of a sudden, before crossing these flats, I got like a thermal, which I don't know, somehow went above the cloud base. And there was another cloud base higher up. And, and then I could cross these flats. Whoa. And then I reached, well, uh, like the Serponçon, and I called my supporter. I said, Oh, it was really hard. And uh, I hope I can still cover some ground. Uh, from now on, but it was already six o'clock or something, and then I managed to fly over like the Serponçon, and then yeah, towards Saint Andre les Alpes, and and even further than that. But there was already like in two hours or something, I was flying like super fast. There was this yeah huge amount of backwind, and then every west face that I would uh, stumble on or almost north face, I would yeah be catapulted. Like it was really, really, really nice, and then I, I ended up eighty kilometers from Monaco, and there was a really great flight. I think I overtook, I don't know, seven or eight pilots during that flight. So that was really great. Like uh, I did a yeah, really nice flight then. So you over overtook all the pilots that had stayed kind of deep. You, you took yeah, the wide yeah. line, and yeah, I remember that. I remember watching that. That was yeah. awesome. It was. It was. It was a bit of luck as well because I asked pilots in Saint-Hilaire what could I do and then in spring and they said yeah well sometimes we go we take this line and then sometimes we cross and then we go towards well deeper like you're saying and then I said oh, okay <laughs> I'll just try this line and it worked and usually it doesn't really work in summer because it's too stable and so, you know, it was a bit of luck as well. I was uh, I just talked about this line to some local guys in spring when I was there and then and then uh and then I did it and uh, yeah, it worked great. But yeah, it was pretty pretty hard and I really did some low saves like where I thought, Oh shit. It could have been it could have gone really bad as well, you know, I could have <laughs> finished fifteenth or whatever, but yeah, it worked out fine, so it was cool. And then yeah, my my worst yeah landing in some crazy wind somewhere. <laughs> Hard to pin those down. We do that a bit. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I will. Like my worst also was uh, when Thomas crashed in. I think it was in 2015 when there was all these winds, uh, this east wind, or I think it was yeah east. We got a lot of east wind. No, west no wind, the uh, west in 2015 was the strong west. That's when he landed in the yeah. coal up there going backwards at a million miles an hour. Yeah. 
and then I was already like, fuck, why are we doing this? It's, we've, we have to fight so much and uh, is it really worth it? And and then and then we took off from this place with Thomas and I, I was looking back with West Thomas. I couldn't see him and I thought, yeah, probably um, my eyes on open. I don't know. I couldn't find him anymore. And then I thought, yeah, well, probably something happened. You know, he should be there. And then and then I landed on the top of a mountain. I called my supporter. I said, "What is happening with Thomas? Because he was just behind me, and I couldn't." And then he already crashed, and I, I, I was on top of this mountain, thinking, crying as well, like, "Why the hell are we doing this?" I thought he was dead because we would, we took off from from a small ledge, like we had ten meters of grass, and then there was this big rock face going down, and then. Yeah, I thought if he if he did something wrong at this takeoff, he I don't know what could have happened, but then it, it can't be good, you know. He maybe he fell down this rock face, and and it's actually what happened. So he he tried to take off, and then when he like you really had a short moment to pull up your glider and then turn around and then kind of jump off this cliff, but he just jumped off the cliff with the glider a bit too much in the back and then so the glider stalled once he was in the air he wasn't actually flying yet and then he like yeah stumbled down this this cliff and then luckily landed on a small ledge so he didn't fell down all the way but but yeah he was lucky there that he didn't uh, hurt himself more than I think he just had a small injury on his wrist or something, but he, well, he finished the race there, but I was really thinking, why the hell are we doing this? Mm. Yeah. I mean, in 2015, and maybe that was a different year because in 2015 was when he pretty much got his face torn off. I mean, he, he, he had to, he had to quit the race. It was the same day that Michael Vichy, um, through his reserve. And- but there was still my Kukone, but I was talking about, uh, ah, the door. of course. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's uh yeah, you have those moments where you're like, whoa, <laughs> it kind of resets. <laughs> what are we doing? Um next day I had this great flight from from there, from the Newfoundland Pass all the way to to Chamonix. And then yeah, and then I was happy again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You have your yeah. ups and downs. <laughs> Just like flying. Um Ferdy, what a what a what a joy, man! I appreciate it, and uh, so psyched to see your name on the on the list again. I knew you'd be coming back, but that was that was it was great to see your your name on the list again. We got a lot of young whippersnappers; they're going to be chomping at, at the heels, or out, or we're going to be chomping at their heels, I guess more likely. But uh, it's, it looks like a really well, probably the strongest uh, field yet, and be exciting to see what what they give us for a course, but. Um, really excited to to fly with you again and spend some time with you again and and race with you again. So, but uh, thanks for sharing your stories. It will be interesting again. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> it always is. It always is. Well, uh, talk again soon. Good luck with your training and COVID. I mean, uh, obviously, it's not looking that good right now for coming over, even doing the race. But uh, COVID dependent, we'll be seeing you in May or, or June. See you soon. Yeah. All right, bud. Talk soon. Thanks, Freddie. Yeah. See you. Bye bye. Stay healthy. Bye. Cheers.
find the cloud-based mayhem valuable, you can support it in a lot of different ways. You can give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher or however you get your podcast. That goes a long ways and helps spread the word. You can blog about it on your own website or share it on social media. You can talk about it on the way up to launch with your pilot friends. I know a lot of interesting conversations have happened that way. And, of course, you can support us financially. This show does take a lot of time, a lot of editing, a lot of storage and music and all kinds of behind-the-scenes costs. So if you can support us financially, all we've ever asked for is a buck a show. And you can do that through a one-time donation through PayPal, or you can set up a subscription service that charges you for each show that comes out. We put a new show out every two weeks. So, for example, if you did a buck a show and every two weeks, it'd be about $25 a year. So way cheaper than a magazine subscription, and it makes all of this possible. Uh, I do not want to fund this show with advertising or sponsors. We get asked about that uh, pretty frequently, but I for a whole bunch of different reasons, which I've said many times on the show. I don't want to do that. I don't like having that stuff at the front of the show. And I also want you to know that these are authentic conversations with real people. And these are just our opinions, but our opinions are not being skewed by sponsors or advertising dollars. I think that's a pretty toxic business model. So I hope you dig that. Um, You can support us. If you go to cloudbasedmayhem.com, you can find the places to support. You can do it through patreon.com forward slash cloudbasedmayhem. If you want a recurring subscription, you can also do that directly through the website. Uh, We've tried to make it really easy, and that will give you access to all the bonus material, little video casts that we do and extra little uh, nuggets that we find in conversations that don't make it into the main show, but we feel like you should hear. We don't put any of that behind a paywall. If you can't afford to support us then just let me know and i'll set you up with an account of course that'll be lifetime and hopefully and you're being in a position someday to be able to support us but you'll find all that on the website uh all of you who have supported us or even joined our newsletter or bought cloud-based mayhem merchandise t-shirts or hats or anything you should be all set up you should have an account and you should be able to access all that bonus material now thank you so much for listening i really appreciate your support and we'll see you on the next show Thank you.